All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. All right, so here we are at the end of another election season and everybody says the same thing. I am so tired of the campaign ads. Why are they so negative, right? Why are campaign ads so negative? And I'm going to tell you this, you've probably heard a lot of different explanations for it. And um, what I'm going to promise you today is that if you if you listen to our explanation, we will give you probably the most comprehensive and unique reason explaining why campaign ads are negative and most importantly, why they're almost certainly guaranteed to be negative no matter what you do. All of that coming up on this episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. As we always say, if you haven't already, we look forward to hearing your feedback in the volley chat, which you can find in the description of this episode. Click that link, join us in, in the volley chat, and we look forward to hearing from you there. As always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates and a veteran of several campaigns, both my own and others. We have my beautiful bride, Queen of the Bees, Tina. Hello, everyone. Also a veteran of numerous campaigns, a resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. And also a veteran of numerous campaigns. Also a veteran of numerous <laughs> campaigns. And then finally, our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one, to, the one that doesn't like central banking, and... Also a veteran of numerous campaigns. Yeah. So I, I would I don't think it's too much to, you know, I think suggest. we know what we're I we got think a bit we know of what an we're expert talking about. panel on this. Yeah. yeah. I, Taking I you actually, behind the scenes. I actually think this is gonna be a really interesting discussion because I have had so many people like friends and family members come up to me and they're in some ways, they're really curious about like what I do. I hate that. By the way, I hate the question. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I, I've never been able to answer that. But like they kind of implicitly know how the system works, but they also don't know like how the system works when it comes to campaigning, elections, ads in particular, yeah. messaging. Why do people when they're running for office? Why do they talk about it from this angle instead yeah. of that angle? And I, I think that what we're going to talk about today is probably going to answer a lot of the questions that, quite frankly, our audience might share similar questions that my friends and family members have when it oh, comes and to like, like you, you, you see a campaign from the outside. And, and I can say from personal experience, before I started working in campaign politics, I would see like politicians talk about things in campaign ads or I'd see third party groups talk about things in campaign ads. And I'd be like, why? Why are they always so negative? Why, why, or, or why, why are they talking about it from this angle instead of that angle? Why does nobody talk about the Federal Reserve? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and now I, I think I kind of know why. But. Yeah. Well, I had some. I had somebody once come up to me at a, at a fundraiser I was having for one of my campaigns, and he's like, "Nick, I want to know why you haven't done a single commercial talking about whatever it was." And and I looked at him. I said, 
okay, is that issue really important to you? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, um, you're here at my fundraiser. Do you, do you intend to vote for me? Yeah. I said, okay, would you like me to spend $250,000 on several 15 second, you know, commercials convincing you who are already voting for me to vote for me even harder? Or would you like me to go after the people that are still considering it? And, and, and I was, I was kind of that blunt. I said, I don't mean to be rude, but like, let's, let's talk brass tacks. What do you want? And he goes, okay. Yeah. I, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not going to run a bunch of ads that appeal yeah. to people that are already going to vote for me. I've got to run ads in order to try to, you know, wake people up to certain issues or ideas yes. based off of what's important. Can to them. I just say that I, I, I think you actually just in like 10 seconds, just encapsulated, like one of the biggest issues that I have when I talk to like my own family and friends, because they, they get upset about certain things. And then I, I have to keep pointing out the ad you're watching is not for you. Yeah. Right. Just because you're watching the ad doesn't mean you're the target audience of the ad. Yeah. And if you're the more politically engaged you are, the less likely the True. odds are that the yep. ad is directed at you yeah. because you have probably already made up your mind or you're already a partisan Republican. Even if you're not paying attention every single waking moment of the campaign cycle, the votes probably already the, – the, the consultants that are running whoever's campaign it is have probably already determined that they can bank on your vote. Mm -hmm. And so the you might get upset that you're seeing an ad or that you're not seeing an ad that you yeah. want. But to your point, campaign ads are usually directed towards people who haven't yet made up their mind and haven't voted because if they've already voted, well, then you can't do anything about it. And yep. if they have made up their mind – then why are you wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars talking to them? So if we come, to, if we've come to the conclusion that the money being spent is to target those in the middle who have are undecided voters, yeah, does negative campaign, uh, does negative ads work? Yes, and it's not even close. Like this is the part that okay, I, I had to go to an appointment the other day. Somebody in the in the office that I was doing an appointment with recognized me and said, "Hey, you know, Nick, you know, can I ask you about this election cycle? You know, what do you think is going to happen?" And then you proceed to say, you know, I hate all the negative ads. And then someone behind the camera was like, oh, me too. I'm like, I'm so, if I see one more of these ads, like I'm just done. And he goes, why do they do that? And I said, well, the short answer is because it works. Well, it doesn't work on me. Okay, you say that, but it probably does. And, and if, if negative ads don't work on you, it's probably because you already knew who you were going to vote for going into the election cycle. Um, negative ads work in, in large part because... Most political ads are really appealing toward kind of a, a smaller sector of the electorate. And again, it's that one that you think you can win over. So if you kind of assume that 35% of the electorate is, is I, I mean, in a competitive district, 35% is going to vote for you because you have an R by your name or because you have a D by your name. And 35% is going to vote against you because of those things. And so now you have this much smaller percentage that you're trying to appeal to. And the question is, is what sticks with you more? Because when you're running these campaign ads, an individual who's not engaged in politics, right, who can go all the way up to October and, and not know who they're going to vote for, that's someone that's typically not engaged, right? We always talk about like, oh, these are, these are, gosh, you know, they're just really carefully considering. No, that's usually not the case. They're usually not engaged in politics. They're busy with other things. And so it's the, they believe it's their civic duty to vote. So October, they start really paying attention. That means I got to run an ad in front of you you know, four, five, six, seven times before anything about that ad registers with you. And so if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to identify, okay, what are, based off of our polling, what are the th issues that we think most people within that demographic 
um, that voting demographic are concerned about? And how can I talk about the nice things that, that, you know, I like, or I agree with, or that I want to do or what my record is or whatnot, or the ad can scare you about what the other person will do. Sure. And Even if it just mildly unsettles you, there's yeah. a subconscious, there is now a subconscious bias that you don't even realize that you have because you're unsettled about an unanswered question in your head and, about and, that person. Well, and you will, you will see this at the beginning of election cycle, especially between incumbents and challengers. At the beginning of election cycle, an incumbent, so let's say the challengers are all going through their primary. So they're all beating each other up, right? Mm -hmm. Then you'll see the incumbent, all the incumbent will do a couple of ads out there and it, it will be just the sort of ads that people say they want to see. It's the nice, it's the, I did this, right. I believe in this, I'm it's bipartisan. the brand building. It's the brand building, reintroduction to the voter. Reinforcement. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to create an initial good impression about you. To protect against the negative ads coming. To protect against the negative ads quick, coming. Quick well, question. and to show a contrast between what you're seeing yes. between the others and themselves. Uh, That's a great point because yeah. if you're seeing a bunch of, like, if this party over here is having their primary and you're seeing a bunch of negative ads about each other, right? And then the only positive ads you're seeing are about this candidate right here, that creates an initial impression. But as you get closer to election day, you're going to see an, an uptick on the negative ads because as I'm trying to get your attention, you're more likely to you're more likely to pay attention if you're afraid of something than if you're mildly happy yeah. about it. It becomes a race like to the bottom. Yeah. If you feel like you're in danger, yeah. you pay attention. It, it, it becomes a, like a, it, it becomes a race to the bottom. Yeah. And how many voters every single time? How many voters do you think go beyond just seeing those ads in terms of research on candidates? Do we have a lot of people going to the polls that are voting just based off I will of what tell they you, think in those ads? I will tell you. I have worked at the polls on election day many, many, many times, and I see a very disturbing number of people coming up going, what are we voting about today? I oh. see and that. And they're waiting just to be told by yeah. the R's or the D's how to vote. Yeah. I, I, I have people who, who I know that like to pretend that they're informed, but they're, they're, how do I describe this? I know people that are informed at the macro level but you know they're 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 missing in some ways the trees for the forest. Not like the forest like they for know the what they believe overall, but yeah, they don't yeah. know or, its specifics. Or you know they they have like a wider view of like you know well I definitely know I'm not a Democrat yada yada because I don't believe in X Y and Z. Yeah. But then they'll come to me and be like oh, I didn't know there was an election. Yeah. And and again th these are people that that. I think that they have their, their own ideology sorted out, what? but then they don't pay attention to the individual election cycle and they'll, they'll show up on election day and be like, what are and, we voting for? Probably the most bipartisan I think I hear from voters, right. That would fit in the category is that they hate negative campaign ads, right? They, right. they all say that. Yep. Uh, one quick question for you. If, if negative campaign ads work in the general election, do they also work in primaries? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and I'll <laughs> I can tell you that from personal I guess, experience. So I, I so ran. I. I ran in a congressional primary. I ran in a congressional primary, and when it when it started off, so you got to figure at this point, it's all Republicans, all same party. A lot of us knew each other. Um, some of us, you know, were friends. The whole deal, and um, it always starts off with, "Hey, same team, same fight. This is oh, going to yeah. be." And then here's what happens: the first fundraising numbers come out. And the first polling numbers come out and whoever is in the lead, Everything. everyone else just Start starts attacking, attacking that guy, wow. especially, well, I, I won't say everybody. So Almost. let's, let's say you got, let's say you got, um, four people running. 
Okay. And then all of a sudden the polling comes out and the guy in first place, guy or gal in first place is way ahead on fundraising, way ahead in the polls. Number two in, in the, well, just start throttling them. Like, and, and you might see that with number three as well, depending on how close they are. Sometimes number three and four will be clever about this and they will let the number two spot just tear apart the number one spot. To keep their own slate clean. To keep their own, to keep their own slate clean, right? And then at that point, the number one spot has to respond, right? And usually responds by attacking back. Because if you're just responding to attacks, it makes it look like you have something to hide. Or, may, or now you're only talking about the thing that your opponent wants to talk about. So now this strategy works in the general just like it works in the primary. But yeah, you will see them tear each other to pieces. Um, I, again, I, I know something about this because when the first polling, the first fundraising numbers came out, I, I was in the lead. And the next thing I know, I had a quarter of a million of attack ads dropped on me by Republicans. Yeah. And I still won the nomination. It was, it, it was. Oh, but they yeah. were running around being like anybody but Nick. Anybody but I was being called a California liberal with the most conservative voting record in the Virginia House of Delegates. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. So um, if everyone yeah. does hate campaign ads, then why do they work? You mean negative campaign ads? Yes, that's what I meant. Oh, um, well, uh, so uh, well, I just kind of explained why they work. It's it's the fear factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's the other thing I'll say is a lot of people say, I've, I've heard consultants say this before. They're like, oh, you know, voters are stupid. No, they're not. They're busy. Right. The, the person that doesn't know how to work on your car is not stupid because they don't know how to work on your car. They're busy doing the thing that they do, the thing that they work on. And, and a lot of voters, you know, again, most voters have some indication of what they believe, where their values are, and they use a heuristic. They use a shortcut like we all use for things. And that, that's usually political party. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a libertarian. I'm a green. And so that, that helps them kind of figure out where the candidates stand on various issues if they don't have a lot of time to individually right. study them. So they're busy, right? And then it goes into the whole idea of, okay, if I'm busy and I'm, I'm voting for a candidate and I don't know a ton about him, well, then I'm going, with, I'm going off of things like initial impressions. And then what I'm doing is I'm, I'm using deductive reasoning. So I'm not looking for 15 reasons to vote for somebody. I'm looking for one reason to vote against somebody. Mm-hmm. And the moment I have that reason, that simplifies my entire decision-making process. Right. I don't have to add up like, oh, well, this guy, this, this person, this, this person, this, this person. It's like, oh, this person believes this. We're done. So it, if, if I can, you know, if, if the candidate can convince you that the other candidate is toxic or bad or just totally unacceptable, well, then you don't have to do all the other things. Right. So that's so in a, it's an efficiency thing, both for the candidate and for the voter. I've got an analogy that could kind of explain this using one of my favorite examples. Um, when you look at the stock market, there's something like 3,000 stocks that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And so when you're trying to build out a portfolio for yourself, you obviously want to at least match the S&P 500 or else you're wasting your time. You may as well just throw it into an index fund. So yeah. you're looking for stocks that are going to perform, you know, 90, 10% at least over, over like a 10-year period. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sort through 3,000 companies and like individually read like the 10 Ks for all of them and analyze yeah. the insider buying and all like, no, of course you're, you don't have the time to do that. So the way that you end up doing this is what you end up looking for is you can, you can look at a company and say, oh, they have all these positive things, but that's not going to help you like 
sort through 3,000 companies. So the way that you do it is you look through a company and you find reasons not to invest in them, not reasons to invest in yeah. them. Because if you do that, you could find 3,000 reasons to invest in 3,000 companies. Yeah. But instead, the way that you look at it is, is that you have your metrics and you and you look at a company and, and if it doesn't match every single one of those, it immediately goes off the list. That's the only way that you can sort through so many. So what that does is in the investing world, that incentivizes you to look for the negatives with a company. Well, the same thing applies within politics, right? The whole reason that that negative election ads work is because people don't have the time to sort through, you know, 50 issues that might exist and say, oh, well, you know, I, I care about this, this, and this, and, you know, these are all positive things. No, instead, they're looking for reasons not to vote for somebody. And for good reason, because as you said, most people who aren't either listening to this podcast or being on this podcast, they just don't have the time to to pay right. attention to that stuff. The same reason that that none of us would have the time to sort through 3,000 companies on the New York Stock Exchange. And these things really do make an impact more so than people think they do. Um, I had an interesting situation when I was running at one point and my opponent saw that I was gaining on him. And he, he was somebody that was already in office, very, very well set in, very well funded. Um, but I felt like he needed to be held accountable. So a lot of times your negative advertising coming from somebody who is, is challenging someone else. The, the nature of that is that it is an, a primary challenge is a referendum on someone's record. So what you have to do is let them know where they failed on their record. And so it's necessarily negative. Um, so in that type of negative advertising, it's, I need to expose a voting record here. Yeah. That's different. There, To me, exposing certain votes that are really, really bad, um, we need that information. The problem is, is that uh, my opponent had $600,000 to dump into the last two weeks of the election and flooded everybody's mailbox with all these pictures of me saying I was a liar and I was bad and I was an anti-Trumper and all of this stuff, which was insane and not true. Right. And, um, I went to, I was going door to door. I was knocking a hundred doors a day so that I could talk directly to voters and see what they cared about and introduce myself to them. And I knocked this one door in, uh, Waynesboro and this guy said, if I see your face on one more piece of mail, I'm, I'm just going to lose it. You do not have my vote. I'm sick of these negative ads. And I said, uh, can I get, he had a fistful of them. And I said, can I, do you mind if I take a look? I said, cause I haven't sent you any negative ads. And he's like, look, here's your face. Here's your face. And I'm like, those are all from my opponent. And I said, those aren't my ads. I didn't send those to you. My opponent did. And it didn't matter. He didn't want to hear a word I had to say. He was just sick of seeing my face. Wow. And that was it. And it he had a negative feeling about me without ever having talked to me or seen anything from me. And All it's not he like he didn't was, have the opportunity. She's standing yeah. at his door like, I can answer your questions. Like, I did. And yeah. he did not want to talk to me. He, he was just so angry about the mail he was receiving um, that had my face on it that he, like, he didn't, he was going to vote for my opponent. Yeah. <laughs> the negative impression was so cemented in his mind that he yes. did not care to do any more research. No. And and it wasn't based on an issue. It was because he had a negative feeling about yeah. everything he received and my face was on it. 
Well, here's what I don't understand, Nick. I, I watch a lot of YouTube, and so watch a lot of YouTube on my TV, and we all know that the ads are more... There are more ads when you're watching on a TV than when you compare it to mobile. Um, and everything that you see is relatively positive, whether it's a, an ad for Apple or a car company or a restaurant. But then you get that political ad, and it's just negative as can be. Why, why is that? Why is there such a difference? So I, I think that's... I actually think that question explains why so many people don't buy it when you tell them that negative campaigning and negative campaign ads work because they're like, that's bull crap. Like Toyota doesn't do this to right. like Ford, right? Like Apple doesn't necessarily do this to Microsoft. They, they talk about how good their product is, not how crappy everyone else is. So why don't politicians that, and this is, this is essential. This is the insight that honestly, I've never seen anyone else explain as they're going through all of these ads. They, they talk about the utilitarian nature of it. They don't talk. They might even talk a little bit about the psychology of it but they don't actually talk about the incentive structure and the differences between positive advertising within the marketplace and negative advertising within campaigns. So let me, let me break this out for sure. a second. This is going to take a little bit of explanation, but it's, it's worth Let's it. Dive in. All right. When McDonald's does an ad, right, for their hamburger, or their chicken nuggets or whatever, whatever it is, here's the environment that they are operating in. They know that you can choose to buy their product or you can choose to buy someone else's product. So they know that right off the bat, you have choice as an individual consumer, right? As an individual consumer, you have choice. Two, they understand that you're going to be making choices on what you eat daily. Three, they understand that there are a ton of options other than them. Yeah. Right? And they, they also understand that as you're, as you're making those options, if they don't deliver on what they promised you in their advertisement, not only can you immediately find a different option, but you're far less likely to ever go back to them. So that, that's the structure that they're operating in. And so what they're doing is they're, they're competing for your individual purchases over you know, however much time. And they need to convince you that they're worth it. Like they're, they have the value proposition right. that they provide for you is worth it. So that's why you know within the private sector, when they're advertising toward you, that's the environment that they're operating in. Just an interesting thought here. If McDonald's were to do negative ads against Wendy's mm -hmm. and you went to McDonald's and your experience at McDonald's was poor, you're never going back. Well, let me, let me put it this way. Um, the combination of those two create an environment that you it, will not frequent it's very hostile, often. hostile and now you're encouraging other companies to kind of gang up on you or attack you. So, so why do they do it in politics, right? So, why does, so if we all understand why it kind of works better to do positive advertising in the marketplace, why does it not work to do the same thing right. in politics? Because the dynamic, the environment is very, very different, right? So, for instance, when you vote for a candidate – you're not choosing a candidate based off of individual preferences, right? It's not the totality of their, uh, or not individual policy positions. You're not voting for those individual policy positions. You're voting for one person to be able to have exclusive monopolistic right to be able to vote on your behalf along with hundreds of other people, right? So it, it's not your individual choice with respect to the candidate. It's you having to team up with thousands of other voters to try to get the closest you can possibly get to what you want to hold that position. When they hold that position, it's not like you get to go back the next day and say, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't like that. No, no, no. They have it for two, four, or six years. 
They have monopolistic privileges. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if you look at what they what you're giving them power to do, you're giving them power to cast votes that carry the force of law. They have coercive power. Right? So th this is an entirely different environment with respect to what you're selecting, not to mention the fact that you know, we're, we're working through a democratic process here, not a democratic process where you get to individually select your preferences, but you have to team up with other people in order to get the best you possibly can. So even if one candidate is theoretically far closer to you in everything that you believe, if you don't think that candidate has a, a good chance to win, you'll ditch the best choice and go for the one that you think has the best choice to win that's the closest to what you want. So... Now let, let's reverse it. Let's say that McDonald's was not advertising to you based off of, you know, uh, what hamburger you were going to eat today. What if they were advertising to you based off of having the monopolistic privileges of being the only hamburger you could eat for the next uh. two, four, or six years? And if they didn't win that election cycle, then for two, four, or six years, you couldn't have any other hamburger. It would be the only food you could eat. That, yeah, that's not the, other, the only hamburger. That's the only hamburger. Yeah. Like they, they fifty-one percent of people rights. voted for McDonald's. We're going to shut down all the Wendy's. Yep. Yeah, you don't get Wendy's. You don't get. So, what are they going to do at that point? They can't just convince you that they have the best food or the best value prop. They've got to convince you that Wendy's is friggin' poisoned, right? <laughs> Wendy's is bad. They use child labor, and they're you know they spit in their hamburgers. They and, have to disqualify you yes. from even thinking of voting for Wendy's. Yeah, but uh, as you said, in the open marketplace. They don't have to do now. Now you do actually see some negative some, ads in some. in in the marketplace. You know where McDonald's will say, you know, our stuff is cheaper than Wendy's or whatever. But it's a completely different universe than what you see in politics because I can go to McDonald's and Wendy's in the same trip if I yeah. wanted to. I have literally gone <laughs> because of we were doing this. It's kind of a funny thing with our kids. We were all talking about kind of our favorite fast food and what we liked about them. We, we ended up saying, okay, we kind of like the burgers from Burger King more, but we like McDonald's fries more. And so I went and got a bag of burgers from Burger King, and then I went and got fries at McDonald's. Um, and, and yeah, the, the amount of God choices bless capitalism. And options, <laughs> right? the amount of choices and options were incredible. But back to what you were saying before where, okay, so now let's flip the script and make it where, okay, you, you have to only eat at McDonald's now for two full years. And now everyone else is going to be trying to convince you why their, their stuff is actually not healthy. You're going to pay the price for this. Um, you you uh, are going to try to foster a distrust because now, you know, McDonald's may just jack up prices. They may change their ingredients. They may poison their ingredients, whatever they're, it, it, but, but that's all you get. So all these other companies now are going to be trying to you know, make you believe that you can't trust them to keep what they currently have or what they're trying to sell you on, that it could change a little here and there. And you might be paying a lot more and, oh yeah, um, they and they may to... take away some of your options and yeah. all of that. So that's, I mean, I, and I think that's, again, that's <laughs> most people don't understand that's what's going on here. You're, you're two very different things are being advertised when you have the private sector competing over your attention, which they can't demand, they can't require it of you. 
Yeah, government gets to use force. Government That's the gets other to thing. Use force. So, like, yeah. The, so, the example, not trusting someone who can use force against you holds a lot of weight. Oh, this yeah. is why I distrust the federal government infinitely more than I distrust McDonald's. Yeah, because McDonald's can't force me to buy their products. Well, and, and the other th- and the other thing has to do with the quality component, which Tina was bringing up. Right, once you're elected and you're in power for two years, right? It, like you're in power. So, if McDonald's advertises something and they don't deliver on it. I can immediately go somewhere else. If a, if a politician advertises something and they don't deliver on it, they can always blame somebody else, right? Well, yeah, I voted that way, but nobody else did. Or, you know, yeah, it's, it's this evil corporation over here that did this. Or, yeah, new, you know, again, the, the private sector, they have to make good on their demands because you have options. The public sector, yeah, you can claim that you have options in the next election cycle, but for the two years that they have power, what is one of the things that they're incentivized to do? Well, while they have power, they're incentivized to set up structures that make sure they maintain power. And because they have exclusive ability to do that within that time period, it gives them an incredible advantage against anybody that is then going to come in and challenge them in two, four, or six years. So what you're saying is over that two to four to six year period, that politician is proactively putting the pieces in place to support the reelection. I'm saying they have absolutely an incent- I'm saying they have an incentive to. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying everyone does. There's some like Thomas Massey legitimately Thomas Massey goes up there and fights every day to reduce the amount of power that the federal government has. Rand Paul does the same thing. Mike Lee does the same thing. Ben Klein does the same thing. These guys these guys fight to reduce federal power because they believe you know on a moral level that the federal government shouldn't have this much power. They also believe on a personal incentive level that in the long run, that that freedom is better for them. But if you're just looking at kind of like raw data, well, if if your incentive is to stay in power and you have like in, in you have name recognition, you have the power to grant favors, you have the power to you know vote in favor of different groups that can provide you more campaign money and stuff like that, you have an incentive to do that. Now, again, some people do the noble thing and they rise above and the whole deal, but never underestimate the power of incentives. And the incentive structure within the government sector and the incentive structure within the private sector is very different precisely because the private sector can't force you and the public sector can. Hey, I wanted to dig just a little bit deeper real quick. Um, I, I wanted to bring up this notion that, um, you know, if, if McDonald's was all that you could have, okay, Um, for a period of time, they could really degrade the quality that they have and their service. They could really degrade that jack up prices and the whole deal. And then when they know that it's going to be time to start looking at their competition again, they can increase their quality. They can lower their prices. They They could even do special offers, special incentives. Exactly. And, um, and so then People have very, I I hate to say this, but we have short memories partly because we're very busy and it's easy to forget negative things um, if it's been a couple of years and and it's been good lately. And so you get these politicians who will campaign on only what they did this year and they will game the system a little bit in order to make you think that all these other things were really just a fluke and there's really good reasons for that. But this is really who I am. Yeah. And um, and then they will get various um, people or organizations that have a lot of credibility that they don't have. And then they will get those people to lend their credibility in the Borrowed form of endorsements over. And we kind of run into this all the time where it's like uh, you only want that that credibility because you don't currently have it. 
And you're only going to destroy that person's credibility if you don't stick to it. So there is, um, there's an interesting incentive structure there. And, you know, it's, it's, well, a, it's and, so and like, sticky because it's really not a free market option. Yeah. And she, she's right. Like, again, if let's say, let's say we did it like Congress. Right? So, so McDonald's is the only restaurant you could eat at for two years. It won the election, right? So we all had to eat there and it did it degraded quality, objective prices did this in the first year. But then by the second year, as it was getting closer to election day, all of a sudden it upgraded quality, started handing all kinds of free offers and then was, was providing free food to people at a certain income level. And then what are their ads going to look like next year? It's like, if you don't vote for McDonald's, you, get free you want poor people to starve. Yeah. Right. There is a moral imperative because no other restaurant was willing to do what we were willing to do in order to help. So again, you, you create this, you create this environment, you create this incentive structure and it breeds that kind of negative campaign. And there's the whole, we have the experience we've been here. So you know what we can provide already. These people are unknown. Yeah. You don't know what they're really going to give you. They can say they'll give you that, but you don't know once they get in there that they're going to stick to it. Yeah. You look and look how good we've been to you for the past year. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, um, for, for those of you that are listening to us um, that enjoy um, reading really anything from political thinkers, there's a chapter in F.A. Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, chapter 10, titled Why the Worst Get on Top. And that essay, I think, really encapsulates a lot of what we've talked about today because we've described the differences well, and between— Well, he's talking about within government. He's, he's talking about yeah. within government. That, that, that's why he says why the worst get on top. Yeah. He's talking about how the inherent system of government itself— even in a democratic society is inevitably going to produce basically the worst of the worst of those who actually engage in politics because the way the system itself is oriented. And it surprises us every single time because there's an entire political movement on the left that simply thinks that, oh, we just need to get the right people in office and then we can centrally plan our way to utopia. Oh, there's some people on the right that are now yeah. saying things like that. And and Hayek completely destroys that in that chapter. So those of you that, that are interested in in reading that, it's chapter 10 of The Road to Serfdom. Um, and long story short, there's actually a line from that that I want to read. It's it's one or two sentences where he, he explains that just as the democratic statesman who sets out to plan economic life will soon be confronted with the alternative of either assuming dictatorial powers or abandoning his plans, so the totalitarian dictator will soon have to choose between disregard of ordinary morals or failure. It is for this reason that the unscrupulous and uninhibited will likely be more successful in a society trending towards totalitarianism. Who does not see this has not yet grasped the full width of the gulf which separates totalitarianism from a liberal regime? The utter difference... Um, the utter difference between the whole moral atmosphere under collectivism and the essentially individualist Western civilization. Basically, what Hayek is, is trying to say here is that the, the decision-making process and the way through which people achieve political power, even in a democratic system, let alone a democratic system that's trending towards authoritarianism, is inherently going to produce people who will either abandon their plans, right, and basically forsake political power, or to hell or high water, they're going to plow ahead, even if it means recklessly doing things or abandoning things that we would consider to be moral guiding principles or doing things that are unethical or doing things that inherently violate the liberty of, of their constituents and, and again, that doesn't mean that 100% of the time you're just going to get the scum of the earth as politicians, but it does mean that you're far more likely 
to get suspicious characters yeah. in office in a yeah. political democratic elected system or really any government system yeah. than you are in the free marketplace. It's the difference between the political, the way that we decide things through politics and the way that we decide things through the private sector. It's the McDonald's comparison. Yeah. All right, Nick, what is the point of all this and can it be changed? Well, I, <laughs> I, I certainly understand the frustration when people talk about, you know, negative and, and a lot of times they'll offer solutions like, you know, we had the campaign finance reform and that was supposed to help both with money and politics and the way people advertise and they had to claim their own ads and whatnot. Here's what I'll tell you. Almost every restriction that you put on either raising money or the sort of ads that you can put out or the different organizations, almost every single time you do that, it benefits incumbents over challengers. Mm. How so? Because the incumbent already has name recognition. They already have a certain degree of power. They already have a built-in donor base. So when people ask me like, hey, I want to run for office, I always say, well, there, there's three things you got to think about. One is the ideological. That's the most important on a philosophical level. But when it comes to winning, there's two things you have to have or be able to get really quick. Name recognition and money. Because you gotta you gotta be able to get out there and campaign. You gotta be able to put ads out. You gotta introduce yourself to people. You gotta talk about the policies you wanna talk about. You gotta talk about the things they don't wanna talk about. You gotta do all that. So you have those are practical considerations. Incumbents already have that. It's the people challenging them that that really have a, a lot of those practical challenges and 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 whatnot to be able to get in there and be competitive. So the thing I like to tell people is you can dream up anything you want with respect to restrictions on on money or, or what people can say or everything else. But everything you do will have a, a consequence to it. So, okay, you can only raise $2,500 at a time. Okay, well, incumbents, they can break that up. They've got them. a whole Excel sheet yeah, of they all the people Excel that sheet. have already done it and yeah. will do it again. Whereas, whereas you might have one donor that really believes in you and can make you competitive. Well, too bad. You don't get to. Right. Or they say, um, you know, you got to work through, you know, 501C or, or like PACs can do this, mm -hmm. but you can't do that. All right, well... Who are the PACs most likely going to be lining up behind? The, the incumbent. incumbent. So, again, everything you do, fine. Or you could say, well, we're going to restrict what you can say. Okay, well, the incumbent gets to go out there and make speeches all day long on the floor or to their constituents. So, again, that's fine, but it's not going to solve the problem. The, real, the problem here is, is what we've been discussing, and this is what I need people to understand. The problem here is the inherent incentive structure that exists within government power. So there's two things you have to be very careful of. The first one is be careful who you give government power to because ultimately it's force. The second one, and arguably far more important, is understand that when you give control over a particular thing to the government, healthcare, education, you know, uh, welfare, whatever it may be, right? But you, can, you can provide healthcare, education, welfare, all of these things outside of the government system. The moment you hand it over to the government, those politicians have a natural incentive to control it because it gives them power over you, right? Your choices now have been limited to what the government is willing to give you. So the same problems that we have with the, the whole negative campaigns and the, the incentive structure that says, oh, the reason why we vote for, or the reason why we listen to ads about candidates is a lot different than the way we listen about ads for products and services is because if I don't like the product or service, I can go somewhere else. If I don't like the candidate, tough, because if they get elected, that's it. So if you take the product or service and you hand it over to the politician, you are handing similar, you are changing the incentive structure within it. 
You're now saying that the private sector through competition is no longer going to be the one deciding how these things are produced, how they're sold, how they're advertised. Nope. Now it's going to go over and the government's going to limit your options to the ones they control. And that is going to have a serious impact both on the delivery of those goods and services, but also the way that you interact with them. The mechanism in which you have access to them is now controlled through the politician. Now, again, you have some politicians that recognize the danger of that and say that's not an appropriate role of government. There's too much danger involved in that, no matter what they're promising you. They're definitely in the minority. But then you have others that see that as, you know what? We're really good, smart people. After all, we got elected to office. We should be the ones controlling this because we'll make sure that, that people get what they need. And then in the end, what you find out is the one group that always gets what they need in that system is the politicians that control it. So that's the thing I would advise people on. Stop, stop looking at just, stop looking at the top level concern here, which is I don't like the negative ad and start asking why is it that the negative advertising works here, but you almost never see it anywhere else. Right. And if you don't like that, why would you want to take the positive incentive structures over here which are all about appealing to you on a day-to-day -day basis, knowing that they can't force you to buy their stuff. Why would you want to take these things and put them in the hands of the put them in the in the hands and the control of people that don't have to worry about that, except for maybe every two to four to six years, where as long as they do enough political manipulation within the last three weeks of an election, they get to go back. Nick, I got one final question for you. Then Tina, I have a question for you. Nick, what do you think would need to change to create an environment where negative campaign ads no longer worked? That's my point. You're not going to get there. And, really? and let me let me tell you why. We, we look at what's going on right now, and I said this earlier. We look at what's going on right now, and we think, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. It's never been this bad. It's never been this divisive. Go look at what Thomas Jefferson's newspapers were saying about John Adams and what John Adams' newspapers were saying about Thomas Jefferson. Wow. These were two people that started off life as uh, started off, you know, as, as friends during the Revolutionary War. Died as is very very close friends, but in the middle had one of the most bitter political rivalries of of early American history. Because you're fighting over control of an apparatus that gets to use force in order to achieve its end states. So if if you want to see less of that, give that apparatus less control over the things that you see mm -hmm. throughout your life. Right. Yes, there, there are legitimate you can argue there are legitimate reasons why government exists and legitimate functions of government. But the more power you give them over everything else within our life, things that they were never designed to have, the more bitter do you not only make politics, the more bitter you make those areas of our life, the more bitter you make healthcare, the more bitter you make things like welfare, the more bitter you make things like education, because you've given them to this area over here that has every incentive to control it at the expense of your individual rights and choices. So I don't think you necessarily make campaign ads, you know, friendly all the time, but if, if you want to reduce the, the quantity um, that you see, if you want to reduce maybe the vitriol, then provide us an environment where politicians are controlling things like the defense budget instead of the curriculum that will show up in my kids' yeah. elementary school. Yeah. My prediction is that uh, at what, while we see people moving away from platforms like TV or cable TV and more towards social media and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, that there will be an incentive for campaigns and politicians to do more organic brand building on these platforms. Uh, and they'll end up spending less money on negative campaign ads, but use those in 
strategically alongside of the uh, positive organic brand building content that they do put out on social. Um, and so I think that we could see that change over the next five, 10 years uh, to make the negative ads less relevant potentially. Uh, but Tina, my question for you is when people were getting those negative mailers in their mailbox, what is something you wish they had done differently in that moment? I wish that they would have reached out to me. Um, it's, a, you know, depending on what scale it is, mm -hmm. but they could have done a very simple search just to see if what I was saying was true. Because I, every time I made a claim about the voting record of my opponent, I listed the bill number and the date so they could go back and they could see it for themselves. Sure. To me, cite your source. I am very against lying about opponents and actually twisting the truth about opponents as well. And so my big thing was I always carried a fact sheet around with me that had the bill numbers and the dates and said exactly what the bill did and told them where to go to look it up. And a lot of people did not want that. They didn't want that knowledge. <laughs> um, I would even say, you can look it up for yourself. Here you go. And I don't need to see that. So there is a fair amount of if you're going to, if you are going to make the decision to believe something about someone, at least make sure it's true. At least make sure it's true. Every time I see something about a candidate, whether it's the left or the right or anything, um, if it's some wild, outrageous accusation, I'm pumping the brakes because I used to be really willing to believe, to believe people on these mm -hmm. things. But w in some of the campaigns that we've been involved in, especially the last one with Nick, I, I watched people make up stories specifically about me that were 100% yeah. false, so outrageous, so outrageous and they were, they were going to uh, be putting that out there. And we even got some questions on it. And people will look at us and go, well, how can they say something that's so untrue like that? And it's because they don't pay a price. You never, yeah. people will just believe it if it's outrageous enough. Why would they say it if it wasn't true? So then they just believe it. When, if you go and you, you look it up or you, you talk to the person and mm -hmm. you find out this, this is 100% false, it's, it's just completely fabricated. Um, it They never end up paying a price for making that up. And they're really good at having a third party do it for them so that it never hits them. It yeah. never sticks on them. And so um, ever since watching that happen to us, where I, I was just going, when in the world did I do this? I've been married to Nick since I was 20. <laughs> How mm -hmm. is this even possible? And it... It's not that it's possible. It doesn't even matter. It's just the fact that they could say it and yeah. people will just latch onto it and believe it. And e so even, don't be gullible. And the only way not to be gullible is to force people to tell you where they got that information from right. and go and find it out for yourself. Do not pass on wild stories that you're not positive are true. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important to demand that the person you're voting for has the ability to speak to the issues at a depth, which identifies that they truly do know what they're talking right. about, right. whether that be economically or education. 
I mean, if you were to ask Nick about education and what his opinion is, he can give you three, four, five different solutions to a problem that we may have that could work. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, another candidate may say, well, I believe that, you know, we shouldn't have CRT in schools and we should pay our teachers more. Very like surface level positions that do not identify the root of the problem. But Nick's over here saying, yep, you know, the reason why, um, you know, we have this issue in, in, you know, the public education system is because of an incentive structure that is there. And can speak to that on a different level. Well, yeah, I think the other thing too, from a candidate perspective, and and we we did this um, every Tuesday. We did a Facebook Live town hall, and the idea was is that if if we want people when they see something negative, if we we want to give them an opportunity to be able to ask about that, right? Then there needs to be a mechanism for them to effectively sure. ask mm -hmm. it because they're not all going to sit there and call directly to the campaign. I mean, when you're running for Congress, you're looking at eight hundred thousand constituents, you know, more or less. Um, and, and so we, we used to do that. And then we gave priority to people that were asking questions like that. Ones that contain something negative. Yes. It's also yeah. worth noting this podcast began. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because uh, this was during the COVID. Campaign. It was during the yeah. lockdown. And, it, and, uh, one, I, I think that's interesting too, is somebody was asking me, like, you know, if you ever run for office again, you have literally thousands of hours. <laughs> of like yeah. online content. Oh, like, yeah, could, I think that's a good well, thing. That's, that's, well, we're going to have to office. have you run in a redder district. Today. <laughs> but people could easily pull and just piece together. Did you guys all see that thing on Elon Musk where it looked like he fired somebody on air? And it yes. was, all it was was several different yeah. podcast episodes spliced together to make it look wow. that way. But it looked legit. And you can do that. People could do that with anything. Yeah. Or they could take, you know, Nick has said things like, well, you know, when the left says, blah, 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 we believe this, and he'll completely give like this leftist narrative, they could take off the section that says, yeah. well, when the left says this, and sure. here's how to combat it, they yeah, could just take that one little section that. and throw it out there. Well, but it, but here's here's the other thing, right? And, and this is something where you should also you should also require this of anybody that's running for office, right? They should be able to give you more than just like the cookie cutter level right. campaign stub speech. Um Again, it's important to me that I, none of my constituents, I have constituents that don't like me at all. I have constituents that, you know, appreciate my voting record. I don't, I, I think I can say this fairly safely. My constituents are not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> right. When, when I mm -hmm. vote a certain way, when I carry a certain bill, when I give a certain speech, but they're not surprised by it because I, I spent a lot of time talking about not only what I believe, but why I believe it, you know, what's, what's the mechanics of it. And so that's important, and that and that is on a person to to put that out there. But again, the the whole the whole point of all of this is not to say that um, is not even to say that all negative campaigning is bad. Like like Tina pointed out earlier, you you know you you are you are running based off of what you believe and what you plan to implement through government, which is essentially means through force. And so if you want to implement something bad, and I point that out, that's not me being negative, right? That's, yeah, if, you're that's informative. if your opponent is a uh, supported by Planned Parenthood and has received a ton of money from Planned yeah. Parenthood, your voters need yeah. to know it's that. It's not mean for me to put that out, right? But there's there's other stuff where it gets kind of, you know, the grainy pictures and the dark music and all that. And a lot of that is there to grab your attention. But again, the, the lesson of all of this is regardless of what you think of it, if, if you don't like it, understand the incentive structure that makes it possible. Right. And most importantly, understand the incentive structure, which is then which then exists if you start handing other areas of your life over to the government sector instead of leaving them in the private sector. It doesn't mean that the private sector always has everything perfect. There's no such thing as perfection this side of heaven. But in this world, 
you have a lot of individual options, you have a lot of competition, mm -hmm. you have a lot of choices. And in this world, you have relatively few. Mm -hmm. So let's keep it as free as possible. All right. We hope you got something out of this. We, we hope you found this to be a unique perspective. Please leave us comments. Also consider joining our volley chat uh, where we get to have a more in-depth conversation, not only about the topic that we discussed today, but topics in the past, as well as topics in the future. We have done shows entirely based off of the recommendations of our members on volley. Once again, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.